cool with you? It wouldn't matter your answer, I'm still going to do it. But um, all right, so uh, we actually do have a good bit to cover today. And so if you guys want to go ahead and turn with me, we are going to be in Luke, big surprise, chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 30. And big shout out to my girl, Sarah. Thank you for doing that. You did awesome. You did a good job. She was nervous beforehand, but she did great. Um, and while you guys are turning there, and I'm turning there myself, uh, I did want to explain just really quick a little bit about why it is that I'm up here instead of Gabe. I know he talked a little bit about it last week, um, but we are really big believers in um, Ephesians 4.13. It's one of the verses that kind of we really thought about and we built the church around, and that's saying that it is our job to equip the saints, that's you fine people, uh, for the work of the ministry. So it's not our job to build up rock star pastors. Uh, it's our job to equip others, to have a community of leadership. So if you guys have been with us for any length of time, um, even just from this summer, uh, we've had six people come up here and speak. So we've had Gabe, myself, uh, we've had Dylan, uh, we've had Jeremy, we've had Carlton, and uh, you probably heard Kyle before he went off to Milledgeville too. Uh, and so that is done on purpose to help building people up, equipping them to speak the gospel. And so something really cool. Because uh, when you look in the Bible and you were to ask yourself, and look at, you know, Peter, Paul, one of those guys, and say, like, hey, if one of them died, would the church have moved on? You'd see the answer is yes, because we're all still here, and they're very dead. So, um, everybody there? You know, there, got it? When there, shout glory, right? Um, <laughs> don't do that, please don't. If your Bible has headings, um, the stories that we're going to be reading are, let the little children come to me, and then the rich ruler. So, starting with verse 15. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Moving on to the next story. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder do not steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack. See all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Who then can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes to and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pray before we go into this. Dear God, thank you for you. Um, thank you for being a God who is eternal. Um, thank you for being a God who has come to save us, to give us life, and to give it more abundantly, God. I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us, open our ears to hear what you have for this God. Um, that whatever is said and whatever is understood today, that it would not be because of us or something uh, that I've said or that I'm, you know, whatever, I'm not important. Uh, that when I open my mouth and the trash falls out, God, that you're able to do something with it and turn that into life, God, that we would leave this place not being the same as when we came in and be emboldened, God, to go out and to speak your name to the nations. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. 
Amen. All right, so I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife came to me, and she said, I've got something to confess to you. Uh, I think that I may have said something a little blasphemous the other day. And immediately, I was like, oh, dear God, <laughs> right? Um, you ever in that situation, and you immediately start praying, and you're like, God, I had nothing to do with this, right? I'm clean. I didn't do it. It was all her. <laughs> I'm not covering for her. Uh, but I tried to play it cool, and I was like, what you talking about, girl? Um, and she told me, and she was like, so I was on Facebook the other night, and I was scrolling through, and I noticed that some of our friends that we went to school with, they just bought a house. And I started thinking about, you know, all these people that are our age, and some of them are getting their master's degrees, and they're buying homes, or even summer homes, and they're traveling, and just going off and, you know, having these kind of grand adventures. And I started getting down on myself, and I was like, you know, how come we're not there? Uh, what did I do wrong, or, you know, like, what can I do in order to be in that same place in life? But she was like, you'd be proud of me. I stopped myself for a second. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, she told me, she said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I said, I'm not going to compare myself to these other people. The only person I can compare myself to is Jesus. And you know what? In his 30s, he was homeless. So at least I'm better than that. Um, <laughs> I have forgiven her. Uh, I think so is Jesus. But uh, the reason why I tell you guys that story is because uh, this story is very much so dealing with possessions. It's dealing with money, how we spend our money. Uh, it's dealing with our wealth, and that is something that can, we've heard a whole lot. The Bible talks a whole lot about it. I mean, by a show of hands, some of you guys have heard these stories before. Like everyone, right? Um, so we know it, but it's oftentimes very much so misrepresented and misinterpreted. So today, it is not my intention to make anyone upset. It's not my intention to make anyone uncomfortable. It is absolutely my intention, though, to look at the words of Jesus, to look at what the Scripture says, and to see what we can learn, what we can glean from that when talking about our wealth and talking about our possessions. So with that being said, before we kind of go into this and talk about what these verses mean, I think that it would behoove us uh, to spend a little bit of time in talking about what they don't mean. All right, so there's two things that I want us to be uh, careful of uh, and be aware of as we're reading these verses. Number one is I don't want us to make these passages too figurative. Okay? I don't want us to make these passages too figurative. And what I mean by that is so many times, I'm sure all of us have had some experience uh, where someone has been explaining these verses, or maybe even a pastor has explained these verses, and he said, like, hold on now, okay, stop the horse, uh, because Jesus would never tell you to give away everything that you own. Okay? He's not talking about like our wealth. He's not talking about our possessions. He was just trying to show idols in his life, right? He was just talking about like in general, our hearts for God, that God doesn't want you to give everything you have to the poor, right? Uh, or maybe they've said like in this verses, he's actually, he's not telling you to give everything away. He's only saying give away your excess, right? He's just talking about uh, being gluttonous or greedy or envious with our money, right? Give away your, your extra things. He doesn't want us to give away everything. Um, or maybe some of us have even heard uh, this story before. If you've been in missional communities, maybe even they talked about it, is they'd be like, actually, if you were to look into Jewish history at the time, you would notice that Jesus would have been referring to this gate. Have you guys heard this before? That there was this gate called the eye of the needle, right? And so when he says it's hard for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, what he's actually talking about is this gate where a camel, if they would come up to it, they would have to get on their knees to crawl through. So Jesus isn't saying that it's hard for rich people to go to heaven. He's just saying that you have to go to your knees. You guys ever heard that before? Okay, that's a very interesting uh, interpretation. It's something that kind of a beautiful picture. The only problem with it is it's completely made up. It's not true. Uh, the first instance that you'll see of that was written in the 11th century. Uh, for those of you that are good at math, that's 11 centuries after Jesus actually said this. Okay, it's not real. Um, and so I don't want us to make these verses too figurative and try and find some sort of loophole through it. 
when we get down to it, the reality is, is that as we're reading these verses, there is a very, very real part of what Jesus is saying, where he is commanding a man who is wealthy to give away everything that he has. Okay, and we've got to be on board with that. If we want to understand what Jesus was actually saying here, we've got to come to that realization. There's a very real part of this that is addressing our money, and he's addressing giving it away. The next thing I want us to do that leads me to my next point is that we also don't want to make these passages too literal. Uh, And college students, I am mainly talking to you right now um, because I remember what it was like. I have been in your shoes, and I certainly did not feel like a rich ruler at the time. Uh, I remember when I was in school, I will never forget, Taco Bell had 99 cent, five-layer nachos. Anybody remember that? Can I get an amen? Okay. (laughs) For those of you that are keeping track, that is 20 cents a layer. Okay. (laughs) And I used to like scrounge up my change uh, to make sure that I had enough and I would get those five layer nachos and I would parcel that junk out, right? How long can I make that last? Um, I did not feel like a rich ruler. And it's also very easy. It is kind of a natural inclination of our hearts to look at these passages and be like, oh, right there, done. It says it's difficult for a rich man to enter heaven, right? He's talking to the rich. That is certainly not me. That is everyone else. So consider that box checked, right? Uh, It's really easy for us to do that. And while, yes, there's a very real part of this passage, like we said, where he's addressing wealth, he's addressing possessions, he's commanding a man who has a lot to give away everything he has, there is also a very real part of this verse that was meant to address everyone, Okay, if you look down a little bit after the rich man, after he talks about, um, you know, um, the eye going through the uh, camel going through the eye of a needle and how difficult it is for a rich man to enter heaven, the first thing that happens is the disciples get scared. They look at him and they're like, well, hold on, how can anyone be saved then, right? They start kind of check themselves, like, we gave up enough, right? Uh, And Jesus has to tell them, like, listen, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so he is meant to talk to everyone in this point. He is addressing even the disciples in this. Okay, so we're not going to find loopholes, all right? Everybody look at me, okay? In these passages, Jesus is talking to you, okay? In these passages, Jesus is talking to me. He's talking to everyone in this, all right? So we don't want to make things too figurative. We also don't want to make things things too literal, all right? Be aware of that as we dive in. So let's get to it. Um, How many of you guys for the past three or four weeks have been going to a missional community? Okay, show of hands here. Good number of people. Cool. If you haven't, dude, do it. Um, we want to get to know you. We want to better equip you. Uh, it's our heart to do that, and so give us a chance, man. Um, if you have, missional communities have been going strong for about three, four weeks. Uh, how are you guys liking the book, those of you guys that have been going through it? It's all right, man. Yeah. <laughs> Greg and Debbie are like, mm, kind of. Uh, it does read a whole lot like a textbook. It can be a bit dry at times. Uh, hopefully, you know, we're jazzing it up enough for you guys. Um, but it has been, if there's one thing I can say about it, it is like bananas full of information. And it's been really cool for me uh, teaching it to go through it as I'm reading it. Um, I've been learning a lot from it, right? Um, for those of you that don't know, we've been going through this book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, teaching us how to actually interpret the Bible uh, and kind of take away some of the skills parts about it, right? And so case in point, I actually used a lot of what we've been reading in this sermon tonight. So um, if you're not in a missional community, this is all the more reason to get involved so that you'll be on board too, right? So when we interpret scripture, there's kind of two big things that we got to do, all right? And both of those are based around these super big fancy seminary words that are going to make you seem brilliant and everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, you're going to super heaven. Um, The first one starts with the letter E. Does anybody remember what it is? 
Exegete, all right, that's my girl. Uh, so first we're gonna exegete. What that means is we are gonna zoom in, okay? When we exegete a passage, we try and understand what was Jesus saying to those people at that time? What would they have understood this to mean, right? Kind of looking into the details, the historical context. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom out, and then that word starts with the letter H. Hermeneutics, oh, she is on the ball, super heaven, all right? Um, hermeneutics, again, is when we look out and we say like, okay, cool, we know what it means for them, so now what does it mean for us? Okay, how do we apply this to our lives? It's the same thing that we're going to look in this passage. We are going to exegete, and then we are going to hermeneuticize. I don't know the verb for that one. (laughs) What is it? I don't know what it is. (laughs) We're going to apply hermeneutics. So three points I want us to get to when we exegete. Point number one, okay, and that is that in these passages that Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's looking at the kingdom of God, and that's what he's addressing. So if you were to just kind of flip your Bible even one page beforehand uh, and look around like chapter 15, you guys will see that Jesus has been talking about you can just kind of flip there and be like, oh yeah, chapter 15's there, and then go back. We're not going to like spend a bunch of time there. Um, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom for a while. So just to kind of give some context as to what's happening in this kind of group of chapters, um, is that, so Jesus already talked to his disciples, the people following him, and was like, hey guys, this is not going to be sunshine and rainbows from now on. Like some real stuff is about to happen. And so consider the cost before you follow me. And then with those that have kind of stayed around and are in it for the long haul, Jesus has been taking them down to Jerusalem, okay? So he's been leading his disciples, leading his followers to Jerusalem, where he knows eventually he's going to be crucified. And he's going to be using this time to continue to perform miracles, but then also to give some real teachings uh, about what this means, what this looks like, what does the kingdom of God look like? So if you're looking through just kind of the chapter headings on like chapter 15, 16, this is where we see the parable of the lost sheep, uh, parable of the lost coin, prodigal son, shrewd manager. These things kind of starting to fit together. Nod your head. Yes, I understand where I'm at. Again, if you've been with us for a while, we were here like last Easter, right? Um, And so now what's happening as we get to chapter 18 is Jesus is making just a slight little tweak, okay? He's shifting gears a tiny little bit. He has been talking about the kingdom, and now he's still talking about that, but now he's focusing specifically on the people of the kingdom, okay? What do the people of the kingdom of God look like? What does it look like to enter into the kingdom of God? Um, To give some kind of context to this, how many of you guys kind of grew up in church and have gone to a membership class? Anybody here gone to a membership class? This church, maybe another church? Okay, for those of you that haven't, uh, let's say you were to do a membership class here, okay? You would go to Gabe or someone and be like, hey, you guys seem pretty cool. I think I want to like do this thing, do the branch thing. And so Gabe would have a class and he would gather all those people around and he'd be like, all right, so you guys have decided that you want to be members of the branch, okay? That you want to be a part of our body, part of our community. Here's what that looks like, okay? Here's what we believe. Here's what we expect of you. Here's what you can expect of us. Okay, so that's kind of sort of in a little bit, this is what Jesus is doing. It's almost like the very first membership class. Does that make sense? Right? Talking about the people of the kingdom. The next thing that we need to look at here as Jesus is talking about the kingdom is realize that these two stories do very much so go together. And I have to admit that when Gabe first gave me the passages uh, and said like, yo man, here's what you're preaching this week, I was a little confused uh, because it seemed like he gave me two very, very different stories. Yeah, Jesus talking about little children, don't hinder them, let them come to me. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about how this rich guy can't go to heaven, right? They seemed very different. Uh, And so I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I was like, am I going to preach like too many sermons? Uh, More than likely, am I just going to like skip over one to get to the other? Uh, But as I started doing my homework, you realize that there are a lot of correlations between these. Uh, So, for instance, in case you guys didn't know, uh, these two stories with Jesus and the children and the rich ruler appear in all the synoptic gospels. So they're in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are always told together, and they are always told in this order. 
the children, and then with the rich ruler. So it's almost like it was done on purpose, right? Um, and I think a really important part, kind of a linchpin in understanding how these two things could possibly go together is when you look down at verse 17. All right, uh, I got to find it because this is not the Bible that I read from. So here it is. So the end of the story about the children, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And the very next one in verse 18 is, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So when you look at that, verse 17 and 18, end of one story, beginning of another, what we've got is Jesus teaching his disciples and telling them, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to receive it like a little child. And then the very next thing that happens is we got this ruler saying, hey, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? <laughs> the thing that he just answered, right? So when we consider that and we look at that, we can see like Jesus is trying to show us something about the kingdom, show us something about the people of the kingdom of God. And these are kind of meant, think of them as like bookends, okay? This is a comparison and a contrast. And so a good question that I want you guys to be thinking about as we're going through this is to ask yourself, okay, in this story of the rich young ruler, what is he doing that is different than a child? Okay, because it's kind of obvious, right, as we get towards the end, how hard is it for a rich man or the king of heaven? He didn't pass the test, okay? So what did he do that was different than what Jesus was talking about with being a, a small child, entering the kingdom like a child? How is his character different? How did he not posture his heart like that of a child? And so that brings me to point numero dos, okay, number two. And that is that Jesus is addressing hearts. In both of these stories that Jesus is addressing our heart. Um, if you go to the beginning, all right, um, looking at uh, verses 15 with that story, okay, what we start off with is that Jesus is rebuking his disciples for not putting priority in those that are need. Okay, uh, and so what's happening here, it says that there, uh, people were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. So probably what was happening is we had these parents, they had little babies, small children, and someone came up to them and was like, dude, have you heard about this Jesus guy? All right, uh, there's this guy that's been coming. We think he might be the Messiah. We think he might be the chosen one. Um, he's been praying over people. He's been forgiving of them of their sins. He's been performing miracles. He's been healing them. And people are flipping out. All right, and so they're bringing their kids to them and they're saying, if you are who you say you are, please touch my child. I know that if you touch my child, that they will be blessed, that they will have seen God, they will have touched God. So please, you know, take my child, have mercy on us, touch him, heal him, bless us. Right? So there's this sweet moment of, almost for lack of a better word, worship going on here, right? And the disciples are just not seeing it, okay? It is not connecting with them that that's what's happening. So they're stuck in their heads maybe or whatever it is, kind of elevating themselves to a higher position because the way that they're acting is like, hey man, we're like the top Jesus squad over here and we've got important Jesus stuff to do and we don't have time for this, okay? So we'll pencil you in, you know, share your Google calendar with us, we'll get to you when we can. Uh, and so Jesus begins to rebuke them, and he says, that's not what this is about, all right? And so he is rebuking them, and he's saying, like, listen, if these people are, are wanting blessing from me, right? These people are coming to me, and they are saying that I can bless them, that I can heal them, that I can help them. And if they are desiring that blessing from me, then who are we to hinder them? Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, right? He's trying to posture their heart, show them where their priority should be. And what's funny about that, what I find amusing about these stories is, okay, so we've got this story of Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's teaching them how not to hinder people who come to him desiring blessing. And then the very next thing that we see is Jesus hindering someone from coming to him and desiring blessings, right? Like, if you look at these, like, Jesus shuts this guy down, right? 
a ruler came to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And then he goes on to list them. When you read this, have you ever just stopped for a second and asked yourself, why is Jesus so rude to this guy? Like here's a guy who's coming to him enthusiastically, right? He's giving him this term of honor. He calls him a good teacher, probably called him rabbi, right? And he's saying, hey man, I want eternal life. I want to go to heaven and I've heard that you were a good teacher, that you were the person that can tell me how to do that. So I'm asking you, tell me what to do. What do I have to do to receive eternal life? And what is Jesus' response to that? He stops him. He's like, hey, don't talk to me like that and get out of here, okay? You ever thought to yourself and just asked, like, why is Jesus treating him like that? And even the, the way in which he's rude to him. Like, look at the words that he said. He looked at him and he said, um, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But like he is God, <laughs> right? Like, it's not like Jesus forgot for a moment that he was God. He knows this, but instead he still chooses to say, no one's good except for God alone. That'd be the equivalent of like, if you came to me and you were trying to be nice and you're like, oh, hey, buddy. And I was like, hey, don't call me that. Only Ricky's a buddy. (laughs) It's weird, right? And I think that when we look at that, the only explanation that we can really come to is that Jesus was testing him. Jesus was testing his heart. Because what does the man call him? What does he address him as? Good teacher. And so when God, uh, when Jesus looks later on and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He's kind of begging the question and saying, if you're going to call me good, you know that only God is good. So when you ask me these questions about eternal life, are you asking me as a teacher? Or are you asking me as your God? Because there's a very big difference. And what's hilarious about right after that is when you look down, so he says, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He gives them the wrong answer, right? He looks at this guy who's coming and asking about eternal life and his response is like, dude, you know how to get to heaven? Just be a good person and stuff. All right, just chill. Um, Everything previous to this, like a couple thousand pages, has been teaching us that we cannot do it on our own. Like, all of the testimonies of Jesus and the miracles before this have been showing how, if anything, the law simply shows us our sin and shows us that nothing we do can bring us righteousness and give us eternal life, that nothing that we do can earn us heaven. So why would Jesus even imply for a second that the commandments are what's going to give this guy eternal life in heaven, right? Again, it's not like he forgot for a second. It's not like he was busy at the time and he was like, dude, I got other stuff to do. He did this on purpose. He was testing him. He was trying to see how he would answer. He was addressing his heart and getting to an actual point. And we can see that with the way that he answers, right? Because what, what does he say when you move down and he says, and he said, all these I have kept from my youth. It was like the, so Jesus tells him, like, man, just do the commandments. And he responds like, oh, that's all I have to do is be a good person. It just so happens, I am a very good person. Uh, it's kind of, if you guys remember last week when Gabe was talking, and he talked about the two, the two people in prayer, right, the parable that Jesus said about uh, the tax collector who goes to pray, uh, and then the Pharisee that comes to pray as well. Now, we would imagine that a righteous person would have responded in this way, that if Jesus said, like, hey, man, you know the commandments, just do these things, that he would say, but Lord, I know that, and I am still a sinner. 
I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't do it on my own. You are the teacher. You are the person that can show me that. I need you to tell me there's got to be another way because if that's what it takes, then I'm not going to make it. But he doesn't respond that way, does he? He says, all these I have kept from my youth. He kind of sounds more like the Pharisee, right? Thank you so much. Like, I'm not like these other sinners, all right? And he's also kind of suggesting at that point that he's perfect too, doesn't he? Like, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. Yeah, right. Uh, who's he kidding? And it's at that point that we see Jesus kind of flip the script on him, okay? That's the point where Jesus turns, and he's no longer being a jerk to him and just like, ah, I'm giving him the wrong answers. Now he is really, he's addressing his heart. All these I have kept from my youth, and Jesus responds by saying, yeah, I bet you have. I bet you think that's why you're going to heaven. I bet you expected me to tell you that you were receiving eternal life, but you know what? There is one thing that you still lack. Give it all away. Just give up. Take everything behind you that you think that you've earned. Take everything that you think that you got because of your talents or how cool of a person you are or how good of a worker you are, how smart you are. Take everything that you think has made you deserving of eternal life. Give it to the poor and then you'll have treasures in heaven and then you can follow me. He began to question uh, and to challenge what he viewed as being righteous and what righteousness was. Right, and so that brings us then to point number three. And that's that Jesus is bringing people closer to himself. And we can see that. We get that Jesus is trying to pull people closer to him. But he is doing this in order to prosper them. He's trying to show that by bringing people closer to him, that's how we receive prosperity. And I know as soon as I say that word, some heads start popping up, as they should. Your heresy alarm starts kind of going off, right? He said the word prosperity. Chill out, okay? Calm down. I'm not preaching a gospel based on prosperity. If you catch my drift, if you don't catch my drift, don't worry about it, seriously. Um... But Jesus is bringing people closer to himself in order to prosper them. Look at verse 16, okay? Um, but Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. He's saying that these children who are coming him, who desire to be closer to him, the kingdom of God belongs to them, kind of setting the stage, okay? That this is how you receive eternal life. That this is who the kingdom belongs to. Moving down then to verse uh, 22 with the rich young ruler. All right, uh, let me find it. There it is. And Jesus heard and he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And here we go. And you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. It's interesting that he put that there, didn't he? He very easily could have just said, hey, there's one thing you lack, give everything you have to the poor and then come follow me. We would have got it. But he makes it very clear to put in there, give everything you have to the poor and then you will have treasures in heaven. He's trying to show him that in this act of humbling himself on earth, he will be exalted in heaven, right? Make yourself closer to me. Get rid of the things that are holding you back, okay? In the act of giving away your wealth on earth, you are building up for yourself wealth in heaven. And then even down into verse 29, the disciples look, and then he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Again, Jesus is reiterating over and over and over again this act of by giving away, you are actually earning, okay? The more you abandon, the more you receive. By humbling yourself here, you will be exalted in heaven. Come to me. That is how you prosper, all right, so now I want everyone here to show me your right hand. Hold up your right hand. Everybody, everybody, everybody. 
Use that right hand, give yourself a little pat on the back, okay? You have successfully exegeted this passage. Congratulations. Do you feel good? You should feel good, <laughs> okay? Um, so we've looked at three main points of what Jesus was trying to say to these people. Number one, he was talking about the kingdom of God, the people of the kingdom of the God. He's addressing our hearts, okay? He's challenging us and where our hearts are at. And then thirdly, that he's also telling us that by coming closer to him, by abandoning the things of this world, that's how you will prosper, that that is how you receive treasure in heaven. Okay, and that's great if you're a first century Jew, okay? But I am not a first century Jew. I'm a 21st century American. I live in a time where iPhone thinks it's cool to skip the number nine. So what does this actually mean for me, right? I didn't buy it. What does X mean? Um, so now we are going, this is where we hermeneuticize, okay? Uh, two points here and then I'm done. Uh, however, I do think that these are very important, okay? So I want us to really pay attention to how do we apply these to our lives, what are these practical applications? Don't you laugh at me. <laughs> it takes them a while, it takes them a while. Um, so point number one, and that's that we don't own anything. And we have got to be okay with that. We have got to start posturing our heart and understanding that nothing in this life belongs to us. It all belongs to God. Look at verse 17, okay? It's such a, like a linchpin verse in this. Verse 17, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Why did Jesus choose the word child there? Okay? He could have picked any word could have said anything about the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a parable, right? It's, a, it's an analogy. Why did he choose the word child? I mean, parents are the ones that are bringing him, right? He could have said, he who does not receive the kingdom of God like a parent, all right, shall not enter it. He could have said shepherd, all right? Uh, a warrior, wouldn't that be a cool picture, right? You got to fight for heaven. But he didn't. He chose the word child. So what does that mean? Why did he say that? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? And we remember that these are supposed to be bookend verses, right? These are supposed to be kind of a comparison and contrast, looking at how was, remember we talked about that question, how does this ruler act differently than a child? What separates the two? I can't help but to think that's the stuff, right? The rich young ruler came with a lot of stuff, and a child owns nothing. A child only has what its parents give to them. Specifically, a child only has what their father gives to them, okay? How many of us in here have kids? Some of the older people in here. Did your kids earn anything in that house, okay? <laughs> Where are the, the hicks at? Where's Allison? Is AJ working the night shift somewhere, all right, so he can pull in and help the family? Absolutely not. Even us that are older in here, who in this room pays for their own insurance? If you were under the age of 26 and you raise your hand, you were a bold-faced liar, and I'm glad you came to church, right? <laughs> we own nothing. We only have what our parents give to us. Um, some of you guys know, uh, if you've met Laura and I before, is we are pregnant. I'm, I'm fine. She's pregnant. Um, and she has started going nuts with this whole nesting thing. Uh, I feel like every single day I come home and we're going to a consignment sale or we're going to a thrift store or we're going to a yard sale or she's showing me something that she found on Amazon or Pinterest about the new Ergo Baby whatever sling, okay? Uh, and it's because she's nesting. She's trying to prepare for when this baby comes because in a few short months, my daughter is going to come into the world and she's gonna be cold and she's gonna be naked and she's gonna be crying because she has nothing. And it's going to be my job as her father 
to provide for her. It will be my job to give her everything that she needs to survive, and she will receive it. Not because she did something to earn it, okay? Not because she did something and now I feel obliged to give it to her. She's gonna receive it because she knows that this is the only place it's coming from, right? It's either daddy or nothing. So we have to be okay with the fact, we have to start thinking that we own nothing. What truly separates the ruler from the child is that the child came empty-handed, right? And that leads me to my next point. Something's going on. It's either raining or there's rats. I'm trying to not think about it. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, And that's that our wealth resides in Jesus alone, okay? Our wealth resides in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Um, If you are an underliner, Okay, Uh, I want you to pull out your pens and I want us to look at this. Verse 23, where is it at? There it is. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Uh, I read from the NIV and I really like that. It says that he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And I think that that, if there's anything to underline in your Bible, it's that. All right, here is a man who came joyfully to receive joy from the only person who can give him true joy. But did he leave with joy? No, he left very sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. It was his wealth that caused him sorrow. It was the stuff that he had that led to him being hindered from coming to the kingdom of God, all right? He did not receive joy. His possessions became a barrier. We look on and we see verse 24 and 25 that Jesus seeing that he had become sad said and he's looking at this man straight in the eye and he's saying how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and we've already talked about it there is no gate he's not telling him that he has to come on his knees use the word that it's difficult. If you look in, in the Greek for this word, that word difficult literally translates to difficult, okay? It's hard. It's not easy. If you have all this stuff on earth, if you've built up treasures in heaven, how difficult is it then to posture your heart to receive heavenly treasures, especially when you know that in order to get them, you got to give it away, right? It's hard. And now, I understand um, at this point, too, that a lot of people in this room, we kind of tense up, right? When we talk about money, when we talk about possessions, when we talk about giving things away, especially those of us who actually have possessions, right? Uh, we didn't clinch up. I see people sit a little bit higher in their chair. Uh, and even if you haven't said it out loud, I know that kind of the thought process is you start to disregard what's being said, right? You start to, again, find loopholes and especially start to discredit the person saying it. And I understand. I've got an iPhone in my pocket, Okay. Both my wife and I, we both have cars. Doesn't that sound like a hypocrite, right? You sure do look nice, Ricky. (laughs) Thank you, this whole thing. Okay. Um, These were given to me. I didn't buy these. All right. But uh, when we come down to it, the reality is, is that in the United States of America, in this place where we're at, um, 
if you are having an education and it's being paid for either by you or someone else, if you have access to clean drinking water, if you have food in your fridge at least part of the time, if you have a vehicle at all, if you are fully clothed right now, okay, thank God you all are, that you are in the top 1%, smaller than 1% of the wealthiest people in the world, okay? The majority of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So I understand that with this, we have to have some level of grace. Um, even when you look down uh, and, and when they ask then, uh, the disciples look in verse 26 and they say, who then can be saved? Jesus responds by saying what is impossible with men is possible with God. This is all about him and how can we posture our heart more towards him? It's not about us. So I'm not suggesting necessarily that you need to go home today and you need to live in a thatched hut and you need to start sewing your own clothes, okay? What I am absolutely suggesting is that we have to be okay with the fact of understanding, number one, that we don't own anything, that our wealth resides in Jesus alone. With every purchase that we make, with every decision that we make, we need to first ask ourselves, how is this expanding the kingdom of God? How is this thing that I have, am I using this to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if I can't answer that, the next question I would ask is, then why am I doing it, right? I was talking with Laura the other day, and um, I, I forget, I think it's in Matthew somewhere. I wish I had looked it up so that I could tell you. It's Matthew. She's smarter than me. She's going to heaven. Um, it's Matthew. Uh, <laughs> where Jesus is talking about storing up your treasures in heaven, and he says that where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. And I think it's interesting that it happens in that order. Where you put your wealth, your heart will then follow, right? If you want to gain a desire for missions, start putting money in missions, right? If you want to start gaining a heart for the lost, find a way to start spending money on the lost, Okay? And now whether you're spending a quarter of a million dollars on buying a new house or whether you're spending $250 on a used iPhone, right, off of the Facebook marketplace or something, we need to start beginning to posture our hearts and saying, this thing that I am doing, is it hindering me from the gospel? Do I think this is something that's mine? Am I doing this because I've earned this? If I were asked to give this up, would I walk away sad? Or am I doing this in a way that can expand the kingdom of God. Uh, I like David Platt has this, um, this saying, where he says that, you know, a lot of times, like the Dave Ramsey of the world or whatever, the kind of the financial advisors will tell us that when you spend money, you need to look and see how is it going to affect you 40 years from now. And that when we look in scripture, we'll see that that is very short-sighted. We don't need to look at our possessions and see how they're going to affect us 40 years from now. You need to look at your possessions and ask yourself, how is this going to affect me 40 million years from now? Okay. When all of us are dead and gone, and our kids are dead and gone, and the house that you spent so long building and buying is dead and gone, it is rubble, right? When everything has rusted away and it's gone, what is going to last? 40 million years from now, where you put your treasures, how are those things going to affect you? How many people did we help save for the gospel, right? How many people did we preach to? Did we help? Did we build community with? How many people in heaven are we going to see and we're going to be able to say like, man, I'm so glad that I did blank to do some small part in helping you to get here now, 40 million years from now. I've said it once and I'll say it again because I think it's really important that the gospel is not about doing different things. It's about doing the same things differently, right? And so one thing that I will say about Gabe, for instance, 
uh, that I've always really respected about him is that if Gabe invites you to go get coffee with him or something like that, or says like, hey man, I'm gonna be at Moe's later, you wanna come hang out with me? If you walk into those places, first off, I think he eats there like literally every single day uh, because everyone there knows his name. <laughs> it's not his head in shame, right? <laughs> everyone there knows his name. The girl behind the counter making his latte knows exactly who Gabe Dodd is, right? The dude making his burrito knows exactly who Gabe Dodd is. So maybe this looks like as you're going out and you're spending money on your food, ask yourself again, how can I use this right now, what is seemingly mundane purchase for the kingdom of God? All right, I love uh, Sydney uh, and how every single Sunday or just about every single Sunday, she opens up her house to you dirty, stinky, no good college students, right, to come and hang out with her. Uh, after this, we're going to the Smith's house, so the youth, we're going to go hang out, um, have a time before missional communities. Those of us who are missional community leaders, opening up your house and how hospitable you guys have been, all right? Uh, some of you guys got pretty big houses, and I tell you, like, even in those things, how can we open ourselves up and look at this thing that I have, using it for the kingdom of God, not doing the same thing, right, uh, not doing different things. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing the same thing, right? Uh, not doing different things, but doing the same things differently. Because I can tell you then, look at the end, right? In verse 30, um, in 29 and 30. And he said to them that truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, and most importantly, in the age to come, eternal life. So, in a moment, uh, band's gonna come back up. We are going to have communion. You know, it's in the wings. This is something that we do every single Sunday. All right, and this is a, a beautiful representation uh, of some of the things that we just talked about. That Jesus, during his last supper, he looked with his disciples, he broke bread, and he said, this is my body that is given to you. This is literally, this is the provision, okay, for the new covenant that I am giving to you. Take this in remembrance of me. And we poured the juice, it was wine back then. And he said that this is the covenant, right? He's providing for us, he's giving to us, saying, I'm giving my life for you so that you may again have treasures in heaven. And so we're gonna pray, music's gonna be playing, it's gonna be kind of your time to respond to the gospel. I ask that you would take this time seriously, that you would pray you would look to yourself, ask yourself, is there something that is holding me back? Is there something right now that I'm viewing as mine, our possessions, our careers, our education, okay? How can we use these things? Give it to God or give it up entirely to use for the kingdom. Um, if you are not a believer right now, it's awesome that you're here and we wanna get to know you and we wanna have community with you. As we said, these things are symbols that represent to us a provision that, that we have accepted that was given to us by God, a new covenant that has been given to us by God. If you're not a believer, uh, then as of right now, those things you're admitting don't apply to you, right? But those things are something that I'm not there yet, okay? I still gotta pray through this. I still don't really know what that looks like. We would ask that during this time then that instead of taking communion, that use this time to pray, use this time to ask questions, use this time to talk. Um, we're gonna have people on the sides, guys and girls. Sometimes the guys are kind of scary, I'll admit it. So if you feel more comfortable with them, do that. This is your time if you need prayer. Um, if you are confused, you know, what does this mean? Who is this Jesus guy? Uh, we're here for you guys. Um, but if you guys will bow your heads and pray with me and then we will move into communion. Dear Father, thank you so much for being a God of change, for being a God of abandonment. Lord, thank you that the things of this world are not what will save us, 
that I am not saved by my works. Oh, dear God, thank you that I'm not saved by my works, but that it is only by faith in you. And I pray, God, that you would be working in our hearts today, that you would show us and reveal to us the, the places that you are working, the places where you are telling us, put this at my feet. Use this for my kingdom. If, there, if you are telling to us there's still one thing you lack, God, that we would be reverent in this moment, that we would be humble, we come to you without prejudice, and we would receive that, Father. Uh, it's in your name that we pray all of these things, God, in this time. Amen.